Welcome to the PBL Playbook, brought to you by Magnify Learning, where we equip teachers with project-based learning tools today so they can engage and empower their students for the future. This podcast will give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom, just like you, and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. Now, here are your PBL Playbook hosts, Josh and Andrea. Hey guys, welcome back to the PBL Playbook. This week we're launching a brand new series as part of our podcast called the PBL Project Blitz. One thing that we always get requests for at our trainings is examples of PBL projects done in the classroom. So this uh, series is going to kind of serve as that for our listeners. Um, each each episode, we're going to interview a veteran in the PBL classroom, and they're going to talk to us about a project that they've done or are currently doing that they view as successful and authentic. They're going to kind of talk us through that process so that you guys have some more concrete examples of what PBL can look like in your classroom. I'm really excited for this series and really excited for our first episode. So this episode features Andrew Larson, who is a science facilitator at Columbus Signature Academy, New Tech High School in Columbus, Indiana, and he's going to share a little bit about his dystopian masterpiece theater project. Let's get into that now. All right, we are here this week to talk about a project highlight. We're here with Andy Larson from uh, Columbus Signature Academy, New Tech. Uh, Andy, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Hello, listeners. So my name's Andrew Larson, and I've been at CSA New Tech for 11 years. And my background is science. So in my former life, I was high school biology, sort of strictly, and at New Tech, my job description is occasionally more complicated. So I still do biology and advanced biology, but then I also have the opportunity to co-facilitate a class called Global Science Perspectives, and that is an integrated course of English 9 and environmental studies. So I've done that, I don't know, eight, to- eight times maybe over the past decade. So yeah, it's been a, been a wild ride. So you're here to talk to us today about a project for that integrated class, um, a dystopian theater project. Why don't you go ahead and just jump into that project and and what you've done? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that project. So I was first turned on to dystopian literature when I was a seventh grader, I think. And so lots of stories that um, Mr. Perkinson had us read back in the day really, really stuck with me and my Co-facilitator, co-facilitator uh, Veronica Buckler is also really into dystopian literature. So um, we created this project called Dystopian Masterpiece Theater. And so in a nutshell, so, so we were kind of operating from a driving question that is something like this. How can an analysis of dystopian literature inform our worldview? So um, yeah, in this project, it's in, in certain respects, it's pretty traditional. So, it, you know, kids are acting as playwrights. So what makes it cool is just by luck, we have a theater right across the street. And so, and, and furthermore, the, the director of that theater is parent of one of our former students. So it all kind of worked out really well to have him be a community partner for us and to partner with this project and teaching our kids 
how to do theater and how to write plays. And so in this project, our kids, well, first they read dystopian books, and we have a variety of titles that they pick from. We've used sort of some of the classics, such as uh, 1984 and Anthem, and we've dabbled in sort of more modern dystopia like Hunger Games and The Circle, and so we, Veronica likes to add titles to that list each year. So we, so first and foremost, we're reading those stories and we are examining those themes of dystopia. That then they're using those themes to kind of craft their own stories, and so they create a play, and this takes place over the course of, of several weeks and 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 because we have this theater right across the street and because our community partner whose name is Robert Haysmith because he's so awesome like we would go over there once a week and sit in his theater and, and we would learn the process sort of step by step from him and so they would first of all learn how to storyboard their idea and then they would learn how to really sort of massage the plot and develop the, the tension and the conflict and, and the theme. And then eventually you know, he'd have them on stage working on the actual delivery and their, their, their movements and all of that. And um, it culminated in a performance. So they would kind of do it in two rounds. So we'll have one school day where every group delivers their um, delivers their play to a, a larger group, about 60 students or so. And from that, we, we choose the best six or so plays for an evening performance, which we invite the parents to, and we invite uh, teachers and other members of the public to. So it's been an incredible project. And you know it's one of the favorites. Kids talk about it, and they look forward to it. And they, they reminisce a lot. And as a result of it, a lot of kids have engaged in, in theater outside of that project so yeah and as someone who's, who's been fortunate enough to be able to check out these plays and, and see kids I can echo that you know the engagement level is there um, and it's it's great when you have a community partner who's willing to to not just be the, the first person in the project or the last person but kind of regularly do that so can you talk a little bit about the the kind of student reaction to it um, you know we've got imagine you've got kids who hear the project launch and are terrified about the idea and then kids who jump at the, the idea. So how do, how do students buy into the project and, and how do you kind of cultivate that, um, that buy-in? Yeah, it's been really neat to watch. It's, it's one of those projects that brings out sort of a, a different side of kids all the time. And so we have lots of kids that are very, very reluctant to, to do any kind of public speaking but it's but they're transformed like when they assume a different role so when they when they step into the character of someone in a in a story it their everything about them changes and so some of the notable successes over the year have, have been kids that are on the on the spectrum of, of Asperger's and autism and and they have like absolutely um, flourished in this in this role-playing environment it's been really cool to see aside from that I mean we have kids who are just we've always known they were funny but they shine in a totally different way in a, in a really 
convincing way when they're in character in these stories. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I could I could go on. It's just been it's been a real special thing to see kids step into that role and just blow us away. So, what about kind of on the flip side for yourself? Um, you're a, you're a PBL veteran. So, what has this project in particular done for you as a PBL facilitator and, and maybe your development and growth? Yeah, I, I frequently will cite Robert Haysmith as my all-time favorite community partner because he's so involved. And Josh referenced, sometimes community partners, we kind of ask, we don't ask enough of them. So they'll be involved in the project launch, or they'll be involved in the evaluation of, of student work. But, but Robert is involved in every step of the way. And so... I think one of the one of the things that's taught me about approaching community partners is just just kind of ask for a lot like don't hold back in terms of what they might be able to provide and the worst that'll happen is they, they'll just simply say I can't do quite that much I can I can do a couple days here and there but it's really taught me to to think bigger with respect to how how we can get how we can leverage the talents of our community members um, aside from that, I mean, it really, the first time we did this, I just thought it'd be fun. I just thought it'd be a, an, an interesting and a different way to, to kind of apply the lessons in literature. But as we did this, you know, we, we have kind of continued to elevate our expectations for what we want kids to do. And, and part of that is old school skills like memorization, you know, just making sure that they can deliver the whole, the whole piece without aid of a, of a note card or anything like that. And, and so it demands a lot of them in terms of good old-fashioned repetition. Some of those old-school skills that you know, sometimes we, we don't emphasize enough. Absolutely. And <clears throat> again, I think it's one of those projects that we see happening in our building every year, and, and kids are excited about it. Um, knowing that you've done this for a while, what are some of the changes that you have made um, or things that you know you would you'd like to see as a next potential step for for this project if it if it continues? Um, good question. I think one of the things that 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 is a challenge in terms of the actual um, the writing of the play, it's it's kind of inherently, collaborative and so when you're doing a written piece collaboratively it's it's difficult to give kids a fair individual assessment of that and so in essence what we've decided to do to circumvent that is to not assess their writing uh, at least not in terms of the style and mechanics and so forth so what we in instead assess is their speaking and to me, that's fine. It's justifiable, but I would love—I would love it if there were a way for us to to refine our assessment in that setting and, and to be able to do a, a better job of, of assessing the written word in this piece. So, otherwise, it would just be one kid that writes the whole thing, and that's that's no good. So, I, I think you know we're always trying to look for better ways to do assessment, and and that's. There's always room for growth. It's a darn near, I, I hate to say it's a perfect project. It's, it's not that. But 
I do think that's a piece that's that's sort of next in line. Well, like Josh said, we're lucky enough to have seen this project in action, and it is one that we hear about and kids love. Um, so before we part ways, are there any final thoughts about PBL or this project or anything you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I, for those of you who are dipping your toes in PBL, I, I just can't encourage you enough to embrace the struggle. It's, it's the kind of thing... It's just a constant work in progress, and it's never done, and that makes it, that just makes it really fun. You know, I think towards the end of my career, in my traditional setting, I was really feeling, it was feeling really stale, and I think because of the dynamic nature of, of projects and trying to figure out how to make them better, to me it just seems, it, it seems different. Um, I know it's different compared to traditional teaching and it's just worth it. I mean it is I think I would have I think I would have resigned a while ago had I not uh, found myself in this situation, you know, where we're constantly trying to poke at things and, and make them better and um, and find better ways. So I'd say that's all. Awesome. Well thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you guys. All right. Ready break Thanks again for joining Josh and Andrea for the PBL Playbook, where we give you the playbook of real PBL facilitators in the classroom just like you and help bring you strategies and tools for your PBL game. If you want to reach the pod, you can tweet at AskGIEBS, at MissB103, and at MagnifyLearning. Or you can email the PBL Playbook at MagnifyLearningN.org with any questions, thoughts, or ideas you have. Also be sure to show Josh and Andrea some PBL love by rating, reviewing, and sharing the PBL playbook with other educators. <laughs>